0: Father, we thank you so much for this time and place. I just call this a divine intersection tonight. Our willingness and your ability meeting up once again in a place and time where we could be forever changed. Would you do that tonight in our hearts, Holy Spirit? Would you just open our ears, open our heart, give us the courage and the ability to just roll off every fear and worry and concern, every identity issue, every, every perplexing question, and just we submit ourselves to you in this moment, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts and to cause us to walk out of this place knowing without a shadow of a doubt that you love us, that you're for us, that you have a great plan for our life, and you're well able to make it happen in your perfect timing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I don't know about you, but this is a, this is a season, isn't it? How many of you have kids? One word, logistics, right? I, was, uh, I had the privilege of sharing at the men's breakfast, and if some of you men were there, you'll hear a couple of things tonight that Sound familiar to what we talked about Saturday because I'm just beginning continuing to share some of the things that God has put on my heart for the season. But I don't know how it happened, maybe it's like the frog in the frying pan. But I just kind of woke up one week and was stressed out not too long ago. It was just there was just so much going on. Um, You know, just every day was like another logistical effort. You would have thought we were storming the beach in Normandy just every single day, you know, uh, with the logistics that it took to make sure. Someone was where they were supposed to be, and homework was done, and penmanship was improving, and bills were being paid, and all these things. And I, and I began to very slowly grind my teeth and think about things, and I'd wake up in the middle of the night, which I never do. Baby might get me up or something, but then I would stay up. And how many of you know the middle of the night is a, usually a, generally a bad time to think about things? Have you noticed that? Now, if you're praying, that's one thing. But if you're thinking, generally you're in trouble if it's any time after midnight or before 5 a.m., And uh, so I just found myself thinking about things and rehearsing things and wondering why things were the way they were. And I even found myself saying something that a believer should never say, which is, I can't wait until Christmas is over so we can get back to normal life. And no sooner did I say that than I caught myself and I went, wow, what a terrible thing for a believer, someone who's grateful to the Lord for everything he's done, to say, Jesus, could we just get on with your birthday? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Blow out your candles, it's over. And uh and but you know that's where I was, and I realized what happened was over time I just had begun to uh really try to do things, try to do the right things, but without the presence of God and the grace of God to really help me. And I looked at my Bible reading plan, and every day there would be a little reminder that says, You are two days behind on your Bible reading, you are three days behind on your Bible reading. And, and, and because maybe I work here and because a Bible's in front of my face every now and then, whether I want it to or not, you know, I, I can begin to think that I'm progressing enough in the Word. And then next thing you realize, it's been one, maybe even two weeks before you've really, you know, sat down and, and opened up your heart to the Lord and said, change me. And there I was just tired and cranky. My family would tell you I was just had kind of a short fuse and and so one morning I came to work, and I get, I get to be here before anyone else. And I just, normally I would have just hit the ground running at 8, you know, and, and I just was like, I was just arrested in right where I was. And Lord, had just, you know, inspired me. Get open that reading plan. Catch up, you know, or, you know, catch the thing up. If you use the U version thing, they got this wonderful little button called Catch Me Up. I'm a big fan of that button. And, uh, and so I caught myself up. And it, and it brought me to actually the last reading of a day where I had apparently forgotten to check the last reading off. And can you throw that up? Sandy, this is the one, Proverbs, Proverbs 12. And this was the first one I read. Worry weighs a person down, an encouraging word cheers a person up. I said, oh, thank you, Lord. It was just like a hot shower. It was just like, oh, that's exactly right. And so I literally, like a, like a dramatic movie plot, I just cleared my desk and I sat down and I said, I am going to read this reading plan, I'm going to get a couple of days in here today before I think another thing about this day. And so then I went to the first day of the actual day I was supposed to read. And alas, it was my favorite verse in the entire Bible, Joshua 1.5, that says, No one will be able to stand against you as long as you live, for I will be with you as I was with Moses. I will not fail you. I will not abandon you. And God reminded me of a word, probably a word that has changed my life more than any other word. I've heard a lot of great words. I've sat under a lot of great teachers read a lot of neat things, but probably nothing has, has so dramatically changed my life and encouraged me, than that word, I will be with you. And as I was telling the men, and as I've, I've told you the testimony before, and I won't go into details, but about five years ago when we needed a house, we were a family of five in a two-bedroom house, and it was time to move. And we sold our, we sold our own house by owner, and su- not surprisingly, but you know, we were encouraged to have been able to sell it rather quickly, and we found ourselves needing a place really quick. And so we were looking and looking and looking and looking, and we found a place, and just nothing really, I mean, the things we thought we wanted fell through, and we finally found one. And you know how sometimes you just have to, if you have to rationalize something to yourself, it's probably not God for you, if you have to really work to like it. And I kind of rationalized it, and I could see where it was kind of the things we were believing for, and there were a lot of good things about it and we made an offer and they accepted our offer and we even low, we even lowballed them a little bit and we got we got an accepted offer and just didn't have any peace at all and uh and just kind of talked it over with Allie and we just didn't know what to do didn't have a peace about it and we made a very difficult phone call to a real estate agent and said I don't think we're going to do it and so uh we backed out of it and immediately that peace again just rushed down and we both knew this was the Lord and so we began to keep looking and God had opened up another place for us to rent so that we didn't have to hurry such an important decision and then we found a house that we absolutely love that we are living in and have no plans of leaving for a long time and and we absolutely love it but when I was in that house I had the pleasure of being able to get in that house alone sometimes which you don't normally get to do, but I had the ability to go in there, get the key, and just pray. And and we knew that, you know, this was even at the great deal that we were getting, even the way that God had moved miraculously, we knew that this was still going to be an act of faith because it was, you know, increasing our mortgage payment and wasn't really financially a time where you would say, hey, honey, what what do you think about just dialing up our mortgage payment? You know, it wasn't really that time where we were having that conversation. And so we had to really pray and know that it was God. And we could see how he had moved miraculously. But kind of like Joshua, you know, God had Moved miraculously he had revealed himself to the people But there still came a day where joshua had to wake up and lead these people into the promised land And face enemies and face giants and face all kinds of things And so there was that day where we just had it aside. and as I was sitting In what is now, you know, our family room praying god You have to just show me. I mean, I can see how you've done something amazing But I just need a word. I need to know that we're making the right move here And he just said this and I'd never heard it before really I'd never heard it in this way before and he just said I will be with you And it wasn't like I heard his voice booming I will be with you. It was just it was just there in my heart. It was like I wasn't thinking anything. I was purposefully not thinking anything. I was even trying not to think about not thinking anything. And I was just being still. And all of a sudden, I just, I will be with you. And it wasn't like, I'll be with you, buddy. You know, when you're trying to slug it out and make that mortgage payment, I'll be right there with you. This was like, I will be with you. You know, my presence will be with you, and I will take care of whatever you have. And from that moment, oh, I just knew it was going to be okay. And were there challenges? Yeah. Was it hard sometimes? Did you wonder Am we're going to make this payment <laughs> this month? You know, was it? Yeah, there was, mo- there was moments along the way where it was difficult. But we knew, but I had a word to hang on. And ever since I heard that word, I will be with you, I began to study it in the word. And I was so encouraged to find so many different times where where God, specifically that phrase, I will be with you or and God was with so-and-so. And when you read about it, it's always amazing. I mean, it's always good news. It's not just like God was there like a spectator watching to see if we would make it or not. It was God was there with a provision. God was there, you know, with restoration. God was there and there was great favor on the person. And I just wanted to just really briefly just give you a couple of highlights of God was with to the men. I read about, I don't know, 20 scriptures. We just flew through them and encouraged us all about his presence and how he wants to be with him. But when God was with Joshua, no man could stand before him, like we said, and he prospered wherever he went. And in fact, God promised the victory in battle. So when God is with someone, there's a promise that you'll have victory in the battle so long as it's the right battle, right? And, uh, and so that was when God was with Joshua, he had those problems. When God was with Isaac, he reaped a hundredfold in a year in a place where there was famine. How many of you say we are maybe experiencing some famine in our economic system? And in other parts of our culture, famine, places where it seems like, and the reports would be, that nothing will flourish right now. Nothing could prosper right now. And so Isaac was in that kind of place, and he, and he was a person who had a promise on his life through Abraham that his descendants would populate the earth and be blessed, that everything about him would be blessed, that he'd be a blessing to the nations. And yet he found himself in a place where it didn't seem like the blessing could sustain itself. And he had a choice to go to Egypt or to follow God. And God said, don't go to Egypt. Don't go to a place where it may seem like you're safe or with their self-sufficiency. Go to this place called Gerar and sow there. And he sowed it, and in the same year reaped a hundredfold in that time. And, and, and God proved that even in famine, I'm still able to keep my promises as long as you stay positioned. But when God was with Jacob, even Jacob whose name meant deceiver, even Jacob who messed about everything he could mess up, Jacob who had offended his brother, Jacob who had ended up with a, with a crazy uncle who was, who was cheating him and he was getting deceived himself. And yet when God was with Jacob, he was, he was able to return to the land of his fathers and family. He was able to go back after being away and escaping Esau with Laban, even amidst being cheated and swindled by someone time and time and time again. Yet there was, God still knew, there's still a way to keep my promise to you. And he said, you can go back. When God was with him, he had the favor and the protection to go back and continue on in the things that God had called him to do. You Remember the dream, Jacob's ladder, right? The dream, the place where even in the midst of messing up, even in the midst of dealing with consequences, and sometimes don't we think that we just have to, man, I made my bed, now I got to lay in it, right? And we, and we find ourselves in consequences, and, let, and yet God loved him enough to reach down to him and say, I am with you. Look at this dream, right? This is what's going on. This is what is surrounding you. This is what's going on in the heavenlies. This is my presence here on your life. When God was with Joseph, he, God delivered him. Out of, out of all kinds of terrible situations, being wrongly accused, being sold into slavery. And it says in Acts 7-9, this is, this is you know, Paul's account of Joseph, but it said, God delivered him out of all his troubles and gave him wisdom and favor in the presence of Pharaoh, making him governor over, over Egypt and all of Pharaoh's house. So even in the midst of being slighted, even in the midst of going through things that seem like there can't be a comeback for this, God surely can't do the things that he has promised in my life. These important words, God was with him. And it made the difference. When God was with um, Paul, Paul was in Corinth in a place that was very hostile to the teaching of the word of God. And there was reports that people wanted to kill him. People wanted to run him out of the city. I don't know about you, but if I were teaching here and I found out that people were coming to this facility tonight to come kill me, I might have a second thought about wanting to stand up here and teach. But, 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 but God was with Paul. And so it made a difference. And what it did was it was a layer of protection and favor in his life. And he, I don't know how it happened. But for another year and a half, it says that he stayed in that city and taught the word of God. Now, if people know where you are and want to kill you and somehow don't manage to do so in a year and a half, and all you're doing is teaching the word of God, then that tells me that when God is with you, it makes a difference. And um, so in the old covenant, we have such a, the new, this new covenant we live in is just amazing. I mean, if you really stop and think about it, in the old covenant, you had to go where God's presence was. God's presence was was on a mountain. God's presence was in a temple. God's presence was in a tabernacle. But you had to go to where he was, and chances are you weren't good enough to be in his presence. And so you had to send an, intermediate, an intermediary, or you had to go through tons of customs and rituals just to not get smoked off the face of the earth for the sin that was all over you and, and, and detestable in the sight of God. But, and so, and in, in, in in what happens is when you hear about God's presence in the Old Covenant, His presence is something, He has a place where He chooses to reside, and he, and He makes time and place where people can come into His presence. But when you hear that He chose to put His presence on someone, it was a unique situation, it was for a unique person. Purpose. He would pick a person, and then he would decide, I'm going to send my presence on this person for a specific time, conditional upon their ability to be obedient and to do exactly the plan that I put before them, and I'm going to use it for a specific place and time to make a difference. And so he was talking, Solomon had messed everything up. I mean Solomon had everything you needed to have to be amazing. He was smart, he was handsome, he was rich, he was a descendant of David, he I mean he everything about him was just awesome. And God and just like Adam and Eve in the garden who had everything and they just said just one thing, don't eat of this tree. And 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 God said to Solomon, Don't take foreign wives. Don't, don't mix these races. Don't, don't get involved in the customs and these pagan religions. Just just steer clear of it. Stay centered on what I've given you to do and expect to be prosperous in everything you do. But he couldn't do it, could he? And so what happened was he, had, he, he, his, he couldn't be king anymore. He, because of moral failure, it wouldn't work anymore. And so in First Kings 11, starting in verse 37, um, God talks about this appointment of King Jeroboam. And, and so he says this to him in 37, I will take you, Jeroboam, Jeroboam and you shall reign over all, I, I'm going to reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be the king over Israel. Then it shall be if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight to keep my statutes and my commandments. As my servant David did, then I will be with you. There are those words again. I will be with you and I will build for you an enduring house as I built for David, and I will give uh, I will give Israel to you. So in the old covenant, you, God would choose to reveal himself to a person for a specific time, but all through this time, the prophets had prophesied that there would be a day when there would be a grace that would come, and it wouldn't be there would be no barrier before this grace. This grace would be free to all, but I can imagine being in the old covenant and just thinking, well, how could this be? We know the law, we know the customs, There's no way that any of us are going to keep all these laws to ever be sanctified enough to be in God's sight. But yet God promised, I will be with you. God's promised that his grace would come. And in the new covenant, which is what we're celebrating now, which is so amazing, if you can forget about the shopping, if you can forget about the pressure, if you can forget about the logistics and the programs and all the things that were on that hilarious video a couple weeks ago, if you can forget about all that for a minute, and remember that it said in... um, It said in Isaiah 7, 14, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel meaning with us, El meaning God. So his very name said the exact thing that he was going to be, which is God is going to come to you. Like he did to a select few handpicked people. Not like you have to go to him, but God is going to come to you. His presence is going to come upon you, and he's going to make a difference in your life. And what happened was, this is the promise in the Old Covenant. And then in Acts 10.38, it says that God had anointed Jesus Christ. You know Christ means the anointed one, right? So Christ means anointed with God's power. God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. There it is again. God was with him and enabled him to do these things. And then in Matthew 28, it gets better. The Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, right? If you you are here tonight and you would say, Pastor Corey, I have no idea what my purpose is. I want to know what God created me to do. How many of you raise your hand right now and say, I'm not exactly dialed in. I'm not sure exactly what I'm on this earth to do. I know the things I could be doing, but I don't know the things I should be doing. If you're that person tonight... This is the beginning of your calling, okay? So get a hold of this and begin to figure out how God can have you do this, and you'll be, on a great, you'll be on a great start. Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always. That's new. Not just, I'll be with you for a season, as long as you dot your I's and cross your T's. It says, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. That's a long time. And then in 1 Corinthians sixteen nine, it gets even better. And it says, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You're not your own. Do you know what happened? Jesus said, I would be with you always until the end of the age. But what did Jesus go and do? He died, he rose, and he was seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, he was talking to the disciples and said, I'll be with you always, but that's a little confusing because now he's not there anymore. And we say, well, Jesus lives in my heart, and there's some ways that, you know, that that's true. But what, what's happened is the Holy Spirit came upon us. When we, when we asked Jesus and we, when we submitted our lives to Jesus Christ and said, I want you to be Lord over my life. I want you to be my shepherd. I want you to be the one that, who leads and guides me. I, I accept your blood. I accept your bread and your body as, as the thing you know, to, to heal me, to take care of sin in my life. And when we did that, he gave us the Holy Spirit to live on us. And so do you see how God made a promise that I will be with you always? And through different situations and time and events, he, he, he kept his promise. And now the holy, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you know that you belong to him because of Calvary, then you, then you have the Holy Spirit of God living on the inside of you always, not conditional upon how good you are. Now I'm telling you this from experience. When you aren't serving God, it's going to feel like he's a million miles away. But you know whose fault that is? It's ours. It's not his. He doesn't, make, he doesn't move. He doesn't change. He's right there all the time, but if you ignore him, I can see where it's going to seem like he's not there. If you put up walls and if you believe wrong things and you let the enemy put up walls in your life, you're not going to feel like he's there, but he's there, and he's always making a way where there seems to be no way, because when his presence is with you, it makes a difference. Say that with me. His presence is with me, and it's making a difference. So, the, the greatest thing I mean, even greater than a baby in a manger, even greater than a Savior on a cross and resurrecting from the dead, is the gift that He gave us. Because it was all—it wasn't all to make a great story, wasn't all to make a Mel Gibson movie. It was to—it was to literally give us a precious gift that would change our lives forever. And that is the gift of grace. And I've given you a handout tonight that is just a, a portion of some of my research and time that I spent. As I began to study about grace and read about grace from the beginning to the end, and it's not always in chronological order on your list, but as I began to use a a concordance and go through all these things, I could just, every definition of grace I read, I could just feel myself getting bolder, and more confident, and more excited, and more grateful. And I found my t- complete disposition change. I found my attitude about this season change. I felt empowered to be exactly who's God called me to be. And like Pastor Elizabeth's word, to not just wish this moment would go away, but to embrace this moment and say, "There is something important right now that God's presence is with me to do, to do in my life." And so. There's no time in the world to go through all these, but can we just kind of run and hit some of the highlights really quick? Because you have this gift of grace through Jesus Christ. It is a gift. Grace is, sometimes we say, unmerited favor. Maybe unearned favor might mean something to you too. It's this idea that you didn't do anything right. Except maybe you were able to believe in Jesus, and because of that, you now have grace operating in your life. Grace, a supernatural force, an unearned favor, something God has paid for, something God has willed to give you in his life. But it's a gift, and you have to open it. You have to receive the gift of grace. And so I want to encourage you tonight, in our short time together, to consider all the benefits of this grace. And if you don't know where you stand about grace, I want you to consider tonight opening your heart to this gift of grace so that living life can become incredibly fun, incredibly purposeful, incredibly rewarding. Look at it. It says in 1st Peter 4:10 that his grace is manifold. You see that title slide? That's a that's an example of a manifold. Can you throw that title slide back up, Sandy? Uh, a manifold, I think of a car, but a manifold means anything where there's a pipe and then the pipe has multiple outlets. Many places and grace is kind of like that flow. Grace is like this thing where it is what it is, but it manifests ma- manifests itself in so many different forms, and we're just going to hit on a few of them. His grace was upon Noah to escape the destruction of sinful man. His grace was upon Moses to lead Israel to freedom. Grace was upon Moses that was evident to his enemies. Grace wasn't just something Moses felt. Grace was something that was seen. Grace was something that caused fear in the hearts of the enemy. So it was obviously a tangible force. Grace gives us revelation of our bondage, and it gives us a way of escape. It was promised by the prophets and fulfilled in Jesus. It it was upon the baby Jesus who then grew and became strong in spirit and filled with wisdom. His grace is able to build you up and give you an inheritance. Tonight, if you are are destitute, if you are hurting, if you have no idea how things are going to work out, this is your promise. This is your story. This is how you can write a brand new story for your life. Begin to grab a hold of what grace can do. And grace did it for the most unlikely people all throughout the word. And grace can do it in your life too. Grace was upon the apostles to give witness of the resurrection of the Lord. How many of you are afraid to talk to your neighbor? There's a grace that is poured out on your life that will give you the wisdom and the boldness to go talk to your neighbor about Jesus. Grace is by which we stand. Grace is a free gift. Grace is abundant. Grace abounds more even when you mess things up and sin is abounding more. Grace is abounding more and more and more. When the world gets darker, grace gets brighter. Amen? Grace lifts us out from underneath the dominion of sin. It works in us. It appoints the gifts within us for his pleasure. Grace causes thanksgiving to abound in our hearts. As you read these things, I hope you're becoming thankful. I hope you're able to just stop and say, God, you are so good for what you've done in my life, and I just want to serve you with everything I have. His grace is sufficient for every situation, every bill, every relationship, every perplexing question. His grace makes us acceptable to him. Amen? Grace forgives our sins. Grace saves us. Grace motivates his kindness towards us. Do you know that God has a kindness for you that is just unbridled? It is passionate. It is relentless. It is just, it wants to love you and love you and form you into the image of Christ. Grace enables the effective working of his power. It bears witness to his word with signs and wonders. Grace is given to all according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace is imparted to others through our words. This is very important. Grace is is imparted by our words and the things that we speak and say. It is motivates worship in us if you ever get to service and you don 't know how you don 't really like that song or, or maybe you don 't like where you had to sit or where you had to park and, and you just feel resistance. Grace motivates worship when you begin to think about it that 's why so many of our praise songs begin to recall the things god 's done because it 's there to stir your hearts up and remind you of what grace has done when we sing i 'm saved by grace that stirs you up, and that should motivate worship. Amen. Grace is an ongoing flow it 's not just a one time ticket to ride get out of hell, don't pass, go. It is so much more than that. It is a continual flow. It's something that is continually working in your life if you'll draw on it. Uh, Grace will season your speech, releasing wisdom to be able to answer issues. Grace manifests its glory in us. Grace consoles us with good hope. It's abundantly known with faith and love through Jesus. It just goes on and on and on. I mean you could just read for a long time and there's so many more scriptures in the Bible about what the grace of God will do. But look at the end of that list. There's just a couple at the end and says and I think these are a couple of good ones to meditate especially at Christmas time when there's extra financial needs and grace causes Jesus caused Jesus to become poor so we could become rich. God has a vision for you and I to be rich, not just financially, but it includes financially. Grace abounds in us in sufficiency and abundance for every good work. Grace says There's an abundance for every good work. Just stay plugged in. Keep running the race. Grace is received through the revelation of Jesus. Grace and fullness is given to us through Jesus and the word made flesh. And and, and hallelujah, grace is available to all continually. You messed it up yesterday, today you can receive grace. You mess it up tomorrow, you say something wrong to your spouse, there's still grace. You just say, Jesus, help me. And how many of you men are married and you've said that before? Jesus, help me. There's grace. Now, this is how you lay hold of it, and what we're going to do in just a second. Is we're, gonna, we're just going to worship. We're just going to throw on a CD and have a time of worship because as we meditate on what grace has done in our life, I think there needs to be an ability to respond to that and thanksgiving and respond to worship. And so in a couple of minutes, we're just going to put a CD on and worship. The words will be on the screen. And we're just going to worship. And if you want to be prayed for, if you just want to come up to the altar and just have some focused time of worshiping God, you, you can do whatever you need to do. There'll be people here to pray with you. And we're just going to spend maybe just 10 minutes worshiping God at the end of this message. But this is how you lay a hold of grace continually because you have to to continue. It's not, again, it's not a one-time thing that you do, but number one, you have to receive it. Any gift that you're given, you have to receive and open, or you will never know what's in it. Does that make sense? So you have to receive the gift through Jesus. Number two, you have to believe it. And this has everything to do with attitude. You have to read those scriptures on your card, and you have to choose to believe that those are for you just as much as they were for anybody who they happened to in the Bible. You can't look at any of those people and say, yeah, well, God doesn't know my situation. I guarantee nothing you're going through is worse than what Joseph went through. Nothing you're going through is worse than what Paul went through. And yet God's presence was with them and made them victorious despite their circumstances. Number three, you have to act on it. You have to act on grace. You have to choose, like we said earlier when we were talking about see you great, you have to choose to allow yourself to go to a place where you need God. And that's when you begin to see the grace of God manifest itself in your life. In Second Corinthians 8, 7, it says, But as you abound in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all diligence, and in all your love for us, see that you abound in grace. Grace is something you have to continue to run toward. Grace is something that you have to continue to enlarge in your heart to. Grace is something that you have to wrap your mind around. Grace is something that you have to choose every single day to receive. When you mess up, you have to get over yourself and say, I messed up and now I'm going to receive grace. I had a friend who went through some, uh, just a terrible hardship and he made some mistakes and just all calamity went crazy, and I would talk to him on a regular basis, and one of the most disheartening things about trying to reach out to him was he had become, for a time period, had become so convinced that he had to lay in the bed that he had made. There was almost a dignity, there was almost an honor in being miserable because I caused this, so therefore I have to just dwell in this, and I'm not going to believe anything good about myself. I'm not going to believe that God can ever make good out of this. I'm just going to stew and suffer and feel miserable. That is called frustrating grace. And, and so what happened was until that person could begin to believe and wrap their mind around the fact that grace could renew, grace endures, grace, you know, like love, covers a multitude of sins, nothing changed in their life until they could make that decision. Nobody could pray it into them. They, they just had to decide to go on with the Lord. Not only do you have to act in it, but you have to stay accountable to grace. And I think this is one that, that I ha- don't always think about, but in your Christian walk, God has created the body of Christ. God has, you know, given us a form of worship, corporate worship, so that we would have accountability in our walk. You cannot do this alone. I'm telling you, you cannot do this alone. Not the way that God has set it out. Not in a way that enriches your life and enriches the lives of others. We need each other. We are members of one another in the body of Christ. And so one of the greatest ways to, to lay hold of grace and to have a continual flow of grace in your life is to allow to submit yourself to accountability. To find people who you will open up and talk to. To find, to find a church where you can be a part of and not just go to hear the word, but to be involved and to get to know people. and Let people know your business so people can ask you, how are things going. And then you have the guts to say, they're not going well. Pray for me. Instead of saying what I believe is the worst F word. Fine. How you doing? Fine. Hey, how's things at work? Fine. How's your, how's your marriage? Fine. Because why? Fine means just push it down. Just everything's good. You know, and wherever it's not good, I'm just going to try a little harder tomorrow and it will get better. And I'm going to try to stop doing that. I'm going to try to stop looking at that. I'm going to try to stop saying that. And, and we never allow grace to change us. We never allow grace to make a difference in our life. In the Bible, it says that what frustrates grace, and I think this is interesting because many times people will say that leader fell from grace. Do you know what they mean when they say fall from grace? What are they implying? Implying that someone has done something so heinous that it's just ruined everything. They've fallen from grace. But according to the Bible, falling from grace doesn't mean committing a horrible sin. Falling from grace is when you try to justify yourself with the law and not with grace. The Bible says in Jonah that, that when you cling to idols, you frustrate grace. That's in Jonah 2.8. When you cling to idols, we always think of Ina's, idols as this little Buddha guy with a big belly or something. But idol, idols are anything that you allow to take your focus off of the Lord. Idols can be TV. Idols can be money. Idols can be anything. You know, Your golf game, it can be anything that takes your focus off of God. And it says in Jonah that when, when you cling to idols, you frustrate grace. You forfeit grace. You give up grace's ability to help you and make you victorious in this life. So tonight, and Tim's going to throw on this CD, and I just want to encourage you to worship. I don't care if you sit, stand, if you come, kneel. It doesn't matter. If you'd like to be prayed for, I'll be here to pray for you. A couple of people, a couple of our staff will be here to pray for you. This is what I want to do. I want to respond to the grace of God that we have heard about tonight. I just want to take a couple of minutes and see what happens when we're focused in worshiping God and believing him for great things. And then and then just whatever he puts on your heart to do, whether he's telling you to give something up, whether he's telling you to begin to change the way you think about a situation, I'm telling you what, grace brings freedom. And if you want to be free tonight, let's worship God, amen? We worship you, God.